0: Hello, this is Rebecca Fleetwood-Hessian, host of the Badass Women's Council podcast. I'm super glad that you are here. Hey, before we get into today's episode, I want you to know something. If you go to badasswomenscouncil.com, you can shop there for t-shirts, tanks, tumblers, journals, all the things that are amazing that have Badass Women's Council. So you should do that. Now, for today's episode... Kim LaMontaine is here with us today to tell her story about mental health in the workplace. And she's literally going to tell her personal story, which is full of all of the intrigue of being a human. Here we go. I'm not coming down. I never liked it on the ground. I'm
1: not coming down.
0: Hey, Kim. How's it going? Doing great. How are you? Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, you bet. So one of my favorite things in life is connections. It's my God put me on this earth to connect people and things. And so people know that about me. And oftentimes when they meet somebody amazing, they will say, oh my gosh, Rebecca, you have to meet so-and-so because they just know, one, I love connections and know that I'll find a way that I can get these people connected in beautiful ways. And that's what happened with us. So you were doing a conference with our friends at Gibson Insurance who, shout out Gibson, has been a loyal sponsor of so much of my business. I just have love and admiration for Courtney Simkus and Tim Lehman and Becky. Beckman and all the great people there. So they had you on speaking and all of them said, you have got to meet Kim. So welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much. And like you, I'm a natural connector too. And people say that to me all the time. They hear my story or someone else's story and say, oh my gosh, you need to know so-and-so your story resonates with so-and-so. And, you know, it, it always turns out to be a great connection, a great conversation. So I'm thankful i have been introduced to you through the Gibson Insurance Group.
0: Yes, absolutely. And and the connection that was really intentional for them to introduce us was, I host a seven-month experience called Rise and Thrive, which culminates into a big event called Stand Tall in Your Story. And Gibson is a huge sponsor of that. And in that event on April 20th, one of the participants of the program, Chris Mills, talked about mental health as part of the business conversation and uh, she's a a stellar HR executive and and she was talking about her own personal story which tied this together for you and your personal story where you have taken what was a really challenging time in your life in business and turned it into um, a really big part of helping others steward addiction in the workplace, and some really important things that are happening for all for all of us, especially now. Tell us a little bit about that and your story. Yes. So
1: my story, you know, it's interesting because I always thought that my story was, you know, just, just like it was different from everyone else's. And it was not a story that I was very proud of, but I am basically a high-performing corporate executive who for many, many years... Suffered in complete silence behind my mask of high performance while living with major depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts, and alcohol misuse. And I've been 12 years sober now. I got sober on July 16, 2009. Um, the stars aligned for me that day, and I was able to find my way to the most kind and compassionate, non judgmental nurse practitioner who reminded me that I'm a person living with manageable diseases. And he promised me, he'd he me right in the eyes that day and said, Kim, I'm going to help you. And we're gonna do this together. But prior to getting to that point, I was the Director's Choice Award recipient on my business development sales team multiple occasions. And I remember one in particular, I just won the Business Development uh, Director's Choice Award and I was at a Business Development Sales Summit in Baltimore. We all went out to celebrate after the fact because that's just what you do when you go to sales meet. Why do you
0: celebrate? Yeah.
1: Well, I don't remember getting back to my hotel room that night, which also means I never told my husband, I was married at the time, that I made it safely back to my hotel room. So he was awake, petrified, wondering where I was, what had happened to me. He got onto my company website and found information for my director, for my coworkers, and called and emailed them. And I woke up the next morning to over 30 phone calls and text messages from my husband, my director, my coworkers asking, are you okay? What's going on? What's going on? Everything wasn't okay because I don't remember getting back to my room because I'd had way too much to drink. And I woke up in the morning feeling worthless and ashamed embarrassed because I overslept. I did it again. I went out and I had too much to drink. And then when I finally made it down to the sales meeting, I learned that there was a fire alarm in the hotel that night, the night before. And the entire hotel evacuated everyone but me. I was passed out in my hotel room and the entire hotel evacuated but me. Director's Choice Award recipient passed out in her hotel room, sleeping through fire alarms.
0: Oh, my gosh, Kim.
1: Now, I never did any drinking during the day. I never drove while under the influence. This was just a daily, it was a nightly occurrence, five, six, seven glasses of wine every night just to, to retreat into that, that place of safety. But every morning I would wake up and say, number one, I did it again. Number two, I've got a massive hangover number three, I better put on my mask of high performance and perform to the, to the highest possible so that no one questions what's going on. Mm. Um, so a vicious cycle. I, it was a very vicious cycle. And, um, the, when I decided to get sober, it was as a result of, of I'm sorry, there's some storms coming through here <laughs> right now. Okay. But, that's life. <laughs> um, So I had woken up, we had had a 4th of July party at my house in 2009, and I woke up on July 5th not remembering what had happened the night before, wondering why I was still fully clothed and why the white pants that I had on had black marks all over them. And I turned to my husband again, I was married at that point, and I looked at him and I said, what happened last night? And he said to me, Kim, you were so drunk that you tripped and came within inches of falling into the fire pit in the driveway.
0: So this is two brushes with could have been a really, really bad outcome.
1: Now, that was July 5th, 2009. and It took me till July 16th to finally make the phone call that changed my life. I called my doctor's office at 4.45 in the afternoon from the parking lot of a of a, um, of a mall in Manchester, New Hampshire. And I said, I need to come in and be seen. And I assumed that by calling at 4.45 in the afternoon, there's no way no one's gonna see me tonight. So I'll go home and I'll have my drinks and the next day I'll cancel my appointment, but at least I made the phone call.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That was the way my mind worked. Well, when I called at 4.45, The woman on the other end of the phone said, we have a new new nurse practitioner here. He can see you at 5.15. So 30 minutes later, I was in my doctor's office seeing a nurse practitioner I had never seen before. And when he walked through those doors, I was literally cowered in the corner crying, not able to breathe. And when I finally told him what was going on, he, he promised me he could help me and he did. But what was interesting is that I got sober in 2009 and it wasn't until 2016 that I started speaking openly about it to people outside of my immediate family. Wow. Because even though I was sober, I was too embarrassed in the workplace to say that I was, back then I called myself an alcoholic. I no longer use that word. I am a person who lives with alcohol misuse. I'm a person who lives with very well managed suicidal thoughts, but I'm not suicidal. I would be a person living with those thoughts. But I was too embarrassed to say Mm -hmm. that I'm in recovery. And I was a remote employee, so I saw my team maybe twice a year in person. The rest of it was on Zoom. So I could hide the massive weight loss that I was going through. I could hide the fact that I wasn't sleeping, that I wasn't eating, that I wasn't doing any of those things. I could hide behind Zoom and Skype and all of those things. No one had a clue that my world was falling apart, that it was dark, that it was scary, that it was unrelenting because on the the outside, I was a leader, a coach, a trailblazer, top performer, Always had a smile on my face. No one saw the signs.
0: I really, I resonate with this in so many ways because I was a remote worker. I still am, but I worked for a corporate, I worked in a corporate role and was a remote worker for 19 years. And I resonate with that ability to be two different people. You know, a lot of people didn't know the pain of, you know, I was in a marriage that had been falling apart for 18 years. And the place where I found my sense of worth was in my, was in my job because a lot of thing, other things in my life were not good and happy. And I, I bring that up because I'm very aware of where we are in the world today with the battle between do we go back into the office or do we, do we stay completely remote? And I'm always advising my clients that people need connection. They need it now more than they ever have. And I don't believe that work should be your everything, but I believe it should be a part of your humanity. We bring our value, our worth, our relevance, our talents, our gifts to our jobs. And we should also bring our humanity so that we can serve and help each other in beautiful ways. And if we're not going into the office or at least finding a way to meet face-to-face in some way, we lose that kind of connection. And I think it puts our humanity at risk.
1: I would... 100% 100% agree with you on that. And I think in terms of mental health in the workplace, um, the one thing, there's been many silver linings in this pandemic. There's The pandemic is a bit awful, but there are some silver linings. And that is that the, the conversation about mental health and well-being is coming to the surface. And it's becoming more normal because people who didn't understand it prior to the pandemic, who are now isolated and experiencing that anxiety and the fear and all that, they're now understanding that it's not just something that you just snap out of. Right. And they're more willing to have these conversations about it. And um, a lot of a lot of people like myself are afraid to speak about it in the workplace because for me, I thought if I spoke openly, if as the top performer of the team, if I say that I'm having a problem, I could be judged. I could lose my seat at the table. My opinions may not matter as much anymore um you know retribution job loss i did not know what would be behind speaking openly in the workplace which is why i stayed so silent and no one knew until i started sharing my story that in 2015 i almost took my own life i had the means i had the plan i had the text message set up telling my neighbor to call the local police, but telling my neighbor, please don't come inside. Let the police come inside.
0: I didn't want him to find me. I had it all planned out. Well, you're a top performer. You knew how to plan things, right? Yeah. You had thought through the whole thing. And you know, what's interesting about that, Kim, is you had already gone through the journey of recovery and getting sober. So this was a sober intentional thought,
1: it was, well, it wasn't and you know what? And I wouldn't say that it's intentional. My mind was sick at mm-hmm. that point. I was sober and the alcohol was no longer there. So the alcohol, that bandaid that was allowing me to, um, to make it through the day, that bandaid that was keeping my marriage together just by a thread. Once right. that bandaid was removed, boy, my marriage fell apart. I was like, okay, and it, it needed to happen. You know, but um, alcohol was definitely a band-aid for me. And once that was removed, many people think you get sober and your life goes, turns into perfection. When you get sober, it is so worth it, but it gets messy because you're going inside that messy cocoon, all the goo and the junk and everything is. And you're really looking at yourself thinking, who am I and what am I going to do? And how am I going to use this experience to maybe to help others? Or how am I just going to get
0: through each and every day? Well, and I I can make the assumption that not wanting to expose yourself at work also th- threatened your basic safety and security from a financial perspective. So, so if you think about, you know, the things we need in, in our lives, survival and then ultimately thriving, survival, like to be able to to have a steady paycheck was threatened, but then also I'm assuming that your only sense of worth at that point, because you were going through something so messy internally was your performer status, your high performer status, right? So the only place you had worth was work. And if you told them that and risked it, you were screwed is what, is what I'm guessing the thoughts were every day
1: exactly and that right there is a huge lesson for anyone who's listening to this today do not look overlook those high performers actually look closer at them
0: well in fact you learned that right so when you when you developed the courage or were asked to share somehow you started to share your story tell us how did that happen so what
1: happened is in 2016, Um, April timeframe, a March-April timeframe of 2016, my director who lived in New Jersey and I was in New Hampshire, she noticed, I give her credit, she noticed that something was off. She finally figured it out. She's like, something's not right with you, Kim. I'm gonna come up and we're gonna spend the day together. So she actually flew up from Newark, New Jersey to Boston. We had one meeting to do, but the rest of the day was, let's just sit and talk. And we did. And I told her everything about the suicidal thoughts, the major depression, the anxiety, but I still wasn't ready to tell her about the alcohol. I told her everything else. And she looked at me and she said, how in the world have you been performing at such a high level Kim with all of this stuff going on in the background? I'm like, I don't know, I just do it. And like what you just said, I mean, that was like my foundation. I knew if I performed at work, I at least had control over something. I could I could handle that. And at the end of that day, you know, we cried, we laughed, we hugged. It was it was an amazing day. And she did she did not turn into my counselor, but she was a leader who saw me and she created a safe place for me to actually tell her what was going on. And she did not judge. As a matter of fact, she said, Kim, you have been doing such great work in your role memorial day weekend is coming up and i want you to take extra time off so take the thursday or the friday off before memorial day weekend and the tuesday off after memorial day weekend give yourself a long weekend and i have been yearning to go away to go on like a yoga retreat or a spiritual retreat or a women's retreat so literally googled memorial day weekend 2016 women's retreat and i came up with the with the work of byron katie if you've never heard of Byron Katie, it's, it's, a, her na- it's a woman. She has this process called The Work. You just go to thework.com. And she allowed me to start questioning my thoughts. And I spent the weekend with her and about 300 other people. And by the time I left there, my light had finally come back on because her work was so impactful for me. And it made me realize that my thoughts were what were taking over my mind. And I had control over them after that i was in an mba program doing my masters and i was doing my research project on mental health in the workplace and i came across the national alliance on mental illness and they had a program called in our own voice where i could go and for a weekend and become a trained presenter to share my own story so i started doing that i got i got certified i started going into the workplace i started speaking to students started speaking to corporations about my story, more and more people were coming up to me every single time I shared my story to say, you were speaking directly to me, Kim, I am you. And thank you for being so brave. And it was then that I'm like, whoa, I'm onto something. So the more and more I shared my story, the more and more I realized that I was not alone. And even to the point where I shared my story at a, um, a healthcare care conference in Houston in 2018, there were about 150 senior vice president of talent development at this conference from hospitals in the Houston area. And I shared my story in front of all of them. Now, I don't get nervous. I'm not embarrassed. And I say, I'm going to share some things that I'm not proud of, but they happened. And I've learned from them, but I'm going to share what happened. I'm going to share what I learned. And by the time that conference was over, it was a two day conference. I had 13 senior vice presidents who, who sought me out at that conference, found me in a corner, found me at lunch, came up to me and said, you are a brave, courageous woman. I have the same issues. I saw so many pieces of myself in you. I did the same thing for my work family too. I was at my own business development sales summit and my vice president recognized that I was doing speaking and teaching. And she said, come on in and at our sales summit and share your content. Teach our team about mental health in the workplace. And I said, well, that involves sharing my story. She says, that's fine.
0: So those were your pe- those were your peers? peers. Yeah, that was the, up, those are tough ones.
1: I stood up in front of about 35 of my own peers, two vice presidents, two directors, marketing, PR, business development, HR, and I shared my story. To say that you can hear a pin drop in that room is an understatement. I bet. No one got up for coffee, no one moved. Everyone was just jaw-dropped oh my God, like they were just waiting to hear what was gonna come out of my mouth next because they did not know the Kim La Montaigne I was describing. Right. But at the end of that, eight of my own coworkers stepped forward. Man. So that's two instances right there. That's 21 people between just two times that I shared my story, 13 senior vice presidents, eight of my own coworkers. And those are only those are just the ones who had the courage to step forward. That's why I'm so passionate about sharing my story and teaching leaders how to change the conversation about mental health, because my story is not unique in any way, shape or form. What is unique is that I'm brave enough and vulnerable, vulnerable enough to get up there and get out there and share my story, for to help others.
0: There's so many places we could go with this conversation that is just critical. The one that I personally resonate with is as leaders and as companies, I know it's important to celebrate the success of the business. We have jobs because of the business. But the framework that I use is that the business is there to control, measure, and optimize goals, strategies, systems, processes. We as humans are personal, emotional, and social. And our needs are very different than the business needs. And unfortunately, what we do is we reward only the business outcomes, top performer awards, top sales. I'm, I'm, I was that person too. I sold $35 million for my company. I was at every trip. I was, I was top performer status. And I realized nobody really knew me. They loved me. They were good to me. They needed me they wanted my participation but the, even my friends as peers didn't really know me they didn't they didn't know my personal emotional And the social side was drinks in the bar afterwards, celebrating the glass award that I had to figure out how to haul home on the plane that I tried to give. I I was always trying to give them away in the elevator because I was usually, you know, a little tipsy too. And I'd be like, whoever was in the elevator on my way back to the room, I'd be like, hey, you want that? They'd be like, oh, congratulations, you won an award. And I'd be like, do you want it? And they're like, what? I'm like, I just got to haul it home and it's heavy and it just is kind of a pain in the ass. What I really wanted was to be seen, not for, not even necessarily for my challenges. I just felt like I was only worthy and valuable when I was, if you didn't have to scroll down one time to get to my name on the sales report, I was great. You had to scroll one time.
1: Nope. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. And you just made a, you just made a great point. You just wanted to be seen.
0: That's all we want is to be seen and heard and understood. And when we're seen for our top numbers, we'll do anything in our power to stay in our top numbers because God forbid that our numbers drop because then who are we? We don't know who we are without them. Now, I will tell you that I had a situation where when I was going through my divorce and I was trying to maintain a huge property on my own. And I was exhausted. I called my boss who had been my friend prior to being my boss. Well, he was still my friend, but you know, we were peers before he yep. was my boss. Yep. Um, and I said, I'm going to be real honest with you. Cause I had, I was trying to keep it all together. I was trying to keep my top performer status and I was not doing well. And I called him and I said, hey, rather than this just be a slow decline into my own misery, I need to tell you right now, there is no way in hell I'm gonna hit my number this year. And here's why, and I'm actually gonna stop trying because it's killing me to try not to disappoint you and try to keep up with everything that's going on in my life. I don't know if I can maintain my house if I don't hit my number, but I also know I'm not gonna hit my number and I am spiraling with the combination of all of this worry. And to his absolute tribute, and I'll never forget this, he said, do you know what your monthly expenses are to maintain what you need? And I said, yeah, and I told him the number, and he said, no matter what happens, I will ensure, even if it's personally, that you meet that until you decide what you wanna do with that house and you can get your life together. So that was a time I was seen, he was special because everybody, you know, all of the other parts of the company just wanted my $2 million a year, right? They, they needed it. And I got it. I, I'm a good business consultant. I know why they need my $2 million a year, but he had been a friend first. And and when he saw me, when he just as a personal friend saw me, it was the most profound moment of my career. And, and I had another colleague that realized what was going on and, and reached out and said, if you ever need Anything, including money, going through this. We have a fund, my wife and I, and no questions asked. Just tell me what you need. Those were two times that I thought, this is the humanity of life that I want to live in, right? And that was special.
1: That's amazing. And you know, um, kudos for you for, for doing that because you recognize that your your health, your mental health and well-being was falling apart. And, and I get that. I mean, I'm sure you are a lot like me. You wake up in the morning, you're on email. And I used to take my lap, my laptop to bed at night and I'd be on email all night long. And then I would say, okay, well, I don't have time to do this expense report this week. I'll, I'll save that for the weekend because I don't have time to do that. I have to focus on this. And it was okay to work on the weekends and put all the admin stuff to the weekend because I had to work during the week. And I'm like, well, wait a minute, what about me? But um, I wanted to share with you that, you know, when I did get up in front of my coworkers, my peers, and shared my story, what happened is similar to what happened with your former boss. I'll never forget the first, there was one gentleman who I actually trained him when he came on board. Um, He stood up when I was done and he said, Kim, I love you. And you don't hear that in the business world. He said, I love you. If you ever, and I'm getting goosebumps, if you ever, ever need help, if you ever feel that you are not worthy, that that your life is not worthy, I don't care what time of day it is, you call me. And more and more people were saying that to me. And it was like, wow, but I purposely isolated myself because I was so ashamed to talk about what was going on. Yet when I started to open up, I felt a little lighter and lighter and lighter because I realized that people around us, if given the opportunity, will step up and help. And leaders want to step up and help help. And some of them, like you and I, we had two great leaders that saw us and took action, but there's a lot of leaders out there who are afraid to do that because they don't know what to do. And it's not about training leaders to become counselors. It's about training leaders to have the confidence to just have a conversation and then crosswalk that employee to the right services.
0: Yeah. Just open the door to the conversation. Absolutely. And you know, um, the reason I created The the capstone of Rise and Thrive seven-month experience with just seven women is a large event where they stand on a stage and tell their story in a seven-minute TED-like talk. And the reason I did that is because when we stand tall in our stories, we give others permission, courage, and confidence to do the same. And I I wanted our stories to be special. I wanted it to be a celebratory kind of night even if the stories were challenging and 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 oftentimes they are i wanted a band and music or music is a band i wanted music and a spotlight i wanted to say i see you we see you and this is a beautiful celebration of life not something that needs to be hid in the corner quietly and i i want to get that to that place where it is celebrated that you the leader goes to the person and says hey i see you let me let me help you find the resources that you need and it doesn't have to be that hush hush i'm not saying anything because i don't know what to do with it or i don't or i'm afraid for my own story to be exposed. So if I start talking about yours, that means I have to talk about mine. I want it to be just this open door of celebration of sharing our stories.
1: Yeah, and, you know, and I agree with you on that because, um, and if leaders have powerful stories, I encourage them to share them to whatever degree that they would like to share them. But when we share our stories, we become human. Yeah. When we hide behind our stories. We're like robots. And I went through a whole um, program called Seats to Stage with with my coach that culminated in a 40 minute presentation that was dubbed down to a three minute speaker reel. And it was powerful to be able to stand on the shoulders of the story and look at it from above and be able to say, I am up here right now, not because I'm any better than you, but because I found my way out. And now it's time for me to extend my hand and allow you to grab onto my hand and come out the other side. And one of the things that I talk about a lot with people is, um, you know, the power of language. And you were talking about celebrating in in the workplace. And I talk about, you know, the power of person-centered language. How I no longer call myself an alcoholic; I'm a person living with alcohol misuse. Um, but when you think about people returning to the office pre covid or actually. Think of a water cooler conversation pre-COVID. Monday morning, water cooler. And everyone's, you know, coming together. And John Smith, their coworker, who's a crazy, nuts, psycho-alcoholic junkie who just went off the rails and he checked himself into the loony bin this weekend. And God knows how long he's going to be away from work. But man, that guy's just off his rocker. If I was standing around that water cooler, and we know the statistics through National Alliance on Mental Illness is that one in five people will live with a mental illness. There were five people standing around that water cooler and I was that one in five who was living with undisclosed mental illness. I would never, never disclose to that group of people what was going on with me because of the words that they were using. Mm. Now, if I was part of that conversation, that same conversation with the same people and they were saying, Our- Co-worker John Smith, I am so proud of him. He recognized that he had a problem. I had no idea that behind that mask of high performance, he was living with addiction or living with alcohol misuse or any of the issues that he's living with. But I am so proud that he took the step and he had the courage enough to come forward and say, I need help and to take the steps and seek treatment. And when he returns back to work, I'm gonna welcome him with open arms and I'm gonna give him as much support as he possibly, possibly needs. Cause I see him as a human being who is courageous, who is just like my other coworker who might've just returned to work from having a, a heart attack. I'm gonna see John Smith just like him because even though the heart attack was physical, And he's got something going on in his mind, which is a mental illness. He's one person. So I'm going to support him when he his back. Now, I may open up in that conversation. Big difference between you and, and many of us, we don't even recognize that the words that we're using are barriers for people to speak up because there's so many stigmatizing, derogatory words out there that we wouldn't use someone who was living with heart disease or high blood pressure.
0: You know, it's a big difference. Well, and, and even my divorce situation, you know, I was emotionally incapable of, of having the clarity and the focus in that season of my life that I had had traditionally. And I was beating myself up because I was unable to focus enough to do the same number of sales calls and to make sure my forecast was accurate. And I just, my brain was so full of, hurt and trying to keep kids in you know okay and managing the lawyer and managing the finances and even those life events to be able to see somebody and say hey how can I support you? Do you do you need a pass on on performance for a little bit so you can just take a deep breath? I mean, where's where's the harm in that? My my numbers were gonna suck anyway. Why didn't you oh. just give me permission to that's why I finally just said I gotta come out with this? Like my numbers are about to suck. My pipeline is dry. I can barely get out of bed, you know, to recognize that in somebody in in a very human, personal, emotional, social way, say, this is probably gonna be a really tough time for you. And I know you're probably going to need a pass, and I want to give it to you.
1: Wow. Yeah, you know what? the 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 um the other option is to not talk about it, and to have that employee become sick, um, go out on disability, or feel like they they just they just can't keep up, and they cannot stay at that high performer status, so they walk away.
0: You know, I did think about it. I was like, I'm going to have to go find a new job because I'm going to be so embarrassed that I wasn't able to maintain. Like those thoughts do come up. That came up with me all the time. And the other stuff that came up with me
1: constantly, and I'm sure you would had the same thing, is that imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. I'm an imposter. I'm a high performer, but God, you guys have no idea who I am behind this mask. I mean, I am a good person. I am an honest person, but man, I just felt so dirty and flawed and... Just because I just felt like I had such a deep, dark secret. And um, when it was
0: exposed, that's when I started to heal. Because light is the best disinfectant. It is. Yes, it is. When you can shine the light, and I'm a God-fearing, Jesus-loving girl, so it's a metaphor as well. I just... Uh, and and that's the kind of work that you and I both are committed to now is shining that light on these situations so that we can bring conversation which brings healing and community that brings healing and and let humans come together. So you've you've taken it all the way from hiding it in in the dark corners to your business and the work that you do now. Tell us a little bit about that before we close today. I want people to be able to find you and hire you and work with you if this is something that they want to do.
1: Thank you. Yeah, it's definitely, it's, it's come full circle. I mean, I've been doing the speaking, teaching and training for, for several years while I balanced a full-time job as a director of partnerships at a company in New York city. And then prior to that, I was a senior account manager on a national sales team. And then I was doing speaking, teaching and training on the side, you know, on mental health. And I just, after, I started getting out there and having people come up to me on, on such a frequent basis. People reach out to me all the time and say, I'm just like you. Um, and I felt I need to do this full time. And I thought, how in the world am I going to leave a corporate paycheck, 401k, steady paycheck, steady benefits. All- <laughs> oh my God, I, can't do I can't do that. So I put it out. I set an intention. I just put it out there, put it out to the universe and i was in the process of selling my home in new hampshire um, sold my home bought myself a 40 foot class a diesel pusher rockstar motorhome bus which i'm in right now <laughs>
0: which i love
1: right yes. so much i love her her name is hope on wheels oh. <laughs> and i'll be traveling around the country doing my speaking teaching and training in hope on wheels um, but i had an influx of cash and so on april 1 right in the middle, the beginning middle of the pandemic, I walked away from a six-figure salary. I left every single penny on the table. And I told my vice president, I need to step into my passion, fully. And I doubled down with my with my two coaches. And I said, here we go. And Let's I wrote an the entire, <laughs> do it, yeah i wrote an entire curriculum called the four pillars of creating and sustaining a mentally healthy workplace culture it's delivered um, when the COVID restrictions lift it'll be a a, a full day live training but right now i do it live via zoom Um, it's also available on demand so organizations can say you know what i have 100 leaders that i want to go through that training because we need our leaders to feel equipped to have these conversations, to know the signs and symptoms and how to change the culture. But we can't get them all on a Zoom call. So we have the on-demand version. Um, Ever since I made that decision, the people that have shown up, my team, I have an amazing chief technology officer, um, web design team, graphics, assistant. I'm working with um, John Broderick, who is the, former chief of the um, Chief Justice of the New Hampshire Supreme Court. He is also a mental health advocate, mental illness touched his family. The two of us, they call us the John and Kim show up at Dartmouth Hitchcock Medical Center. I love it. We have patients every quarter for nursing grand rounds. He's provided me some phenomenal introductions to state agencies, um, lots of organizations, and I expected because my my background is heavy in the healthcare space, I expected that a lot of my clients would be healthcare focused. But I have clients coming from hotel and hospitality, from education, from schools of nursing, um fire, EMS, state police, you name it. People are coming to me. I just um led a CEO round table for the Manchester Chamber of Commerce in Manchester, New Hampshire yesterday. There were folks there from the airport, from the Boys and Girls Club, um, the local mental health centers. And this topic is huge. And uh, what I found is that if you step fully into your purpose, you can do it. And um, it was scary, but within this past year, I have built a solid foundation and this company I tell my team every single week, buckle up, Buttercups, because it is coming.
0: (laughs) It's here. Bigger and better.
1: Bigger and better. I just hired a PR firm and we're doing press releases. He's got me out on the national PR wire. So things are coming through that way. And it's like, buckle up, you guys, because every time I do a training, every time I speak, people just say, whoa. We need to listen to you. And John Broderick, former Chief Justice, said that this training, the four pillars, belongs in every organization around the globe. He provided a testimonial for that. And that's my goal is Mm, I love it. Been very timely.
0: uh, Very timely. Oh my gosh. For such a time as this, as as I like to say. What um what is your website so people can go and find you and contact you and book you and all the things?
1: Door. So it's pretty easy. It's just my name. So it's kimlamontagne.net. So it's kim, L-A-M-O-N-T-A-G-N-E.net. Um, I would love for people to, to visit the website. They can look under, you can see my bio up there. There are videos of John Broderick and I doing Grand Rounds presentations. There's testimonials up there. There's also a section on the four pillars training, and you can book a consult. I would love to have a conversation. Um, you could also email me at kim at kimlamontagne.net. Connect with me on LinkedIn as well or Facebook. Um, And I just got into the Twitter world because my PR guy said you need to be on
0: Twitter. Oh, girl. It's a dumpster uh, fire, but I know why he wants you there. I know why. I've been in and out of it. I've been out for a little while because it got super ugly, but (sighs) there's lots of people that need you. (laughs) I know. There's lots of people that need you. So I guess
1: uh, technically I'm on Twitter, but I don't know how to work it yet. So, it's, well, you know uh, what?
0: Because you've stepped into the light, the people that need you will find you. So
1: they will.
0: I am so proud of you. I'm I'm so excited to know you and I know that your work is going to save life. Yes,
1: absolutely. And I'm proud of you for stepping up and having that courageous conversation with your boss. And you should share that more frequently because I bet you there's a lot of people sitting in, in the same shoes that you were in thinking, I got to keep this to myself. I got to stay. I have to keep this imposter syndrome going on. And they could, if they open up just a little bit in the right way, they might find a leader who is very understanding.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. I'm not coming down for being here. I hope today's episode has you reflecting on how you can open up conversations and look around your team, your coworkers, and see if anyone needs to be seen. If you're looking for a community where you can be yourself, come on into the Badass Women's Council online community. Go to community and answer a few questions about yourself and we'd love to have you jump in. Thanks so much, make it a great day. I'm not coming down. I never liked it on the ground. I'm not coming down.